Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. We are in the book of 1 Kings 21 and 22. And we'll be looking at Acts chapter 14 as well. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for guiding us. And uh, still holding up the internet signal, giving us this time together. Thank you for the people. Friends, we got to see last night at church here in Calvary. Albuquerque, thank you for everyone that was involved in the worship service um, last night in Calvary, Puerto Vallarta. Thank you, God, for those that were there. Being faithful, God, and serving. Just uh, what a joy. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Okay. We are now looking into 1 Kings chapter 21. Now, it came about after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is close beside my house and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place if you like and I'll give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my father. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him and said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is sullen and that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else. If it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in the city. Now she wrote these letters saying, Proclaim a feast and seat Naboth at the head of all the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him, saying, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of the city, the elders and the nobles who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. Just as it was written in the letters which she had sent them, they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said, Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? 
And he said, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will surely sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab, who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. The one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven will eat. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. It came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I'll bring the evil upon the house of his sons in his son's days. Three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. And in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and that we are still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first of the, of the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about a hundred men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I remain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that may we inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man to whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Micaiah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called the officers and said, Micaiah, son of Imaiah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Then Zedekiah, the son of Tenaniah, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are consumed. All the prophets were prophesying, thus saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered them, ah, go up and succeed, and the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. 
The king said to him, How many times must I abjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep, which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Joseph, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Then a spear came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit of all of these prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenaneah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord pass from me and speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see. Behold, you shall see on that day when you enter and in a room tied yourself. Then the king said to Israel, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah said, If you return safely, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, Listen, all you people. So the king of Israel, Josephat, the king of Judah went up against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go up into the battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the house. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Now the king of Aram had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, Do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. So when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat and said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. When the captain of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of his armor. So he said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. And the battle raged that day. And the king was propped up on his chariot in front of the Arameans and died that evening. And the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Then a cry passed throughout the army, close to sunset, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried him in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. And the dogs lipped up the blood. Now the harlots bathed themselves there according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, and the ivory house which he built, and all the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of, of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son became king in his place. Now Jehoshaphat the son of Asa became king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. And he reigned 25 years in, in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shehi. He walked in all the way of Asa. His father did not turn aside from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, and his might, which he showed, and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? 
the remnant of the Sodomites who remained in the, in the days of his father Asai, he expelled from the land. Now, there was no king in Edom. A deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold. And they did not go, for the ships were broken at Ezion-Giver. And Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with you, with your servants, in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of of his father David. And and Jehoram, his son, became king in his place. Azaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria. In the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years in Israel, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat who caused Israel to sin. So he served Baal, or Baal, whichever you prefer, and worshipped him and provoked the Lord of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. First Kings 21 and 22. There's mucho cosas, a lot of things to talk about there. But I guess the, the overriding theme there is the, the pride of a king, his, his desire for riches, his desire to always have more Once you gain power and position, it is intoxicating and you always want more. He already was king of Israel. He already had a vast amount of land and vineyards and everything else, but he saw something he wanted and he thought, why shouldn't I have this? And when he couldn't get it, it affected him to the point where his own wife, we see how worthless Jezebel was, who was most likely we hear a priestess of Baal. She was a temple prostitute, basically of Baal, she decides to go kill the man just to get the property. So it shows you where their heart was. They were following after Baal and following after Baal, not after the commands of God or the moral standards or what God had laid down in the law. It was a religion of take what you can get. And this is exactly what they did. But they were supposed to be leading the 10 tribes of Israel back to God, not away from God. And they were not supposed to be acting as these show see despots that are that are just in it for themselves. And so God notices. That's the amazing thing. He notices what happens. But saying all that, the, the issue was we see the how evil Jezebel was. And we see once again that she influenced this king, just like the wives of Solomon influenced him towards these false gods and disobedience. So these wives of these other kings are doing the same. Right away I saw that and I said, man, when we read the Bible, it is the king that takes the responsibility. It's the king that the prophet comes to. And he's told, you're going to die for this. You allowed your wife to do this. You were responsible. But of course, the wife also comes under condemnation, Jezebel, for this. And God takes him out, allows him to die in battle because of this. Really, his wickedness of serving Baal. But he's judged for this murder premeditated by his wife, the, the thing I notice is, is the women, men, you have such an influence over your husbands for godliness or for evil. There is a huge responsibility. The man takes the brunt of the, the responsibility for whether he's going to listen to his wife or not. But we see how the wife has such an amazing uh, ability to influence the decisions and the direction of, of their husbands. So it is a... Uh, it is a high calling to be a wife, to help your husband succeed in all these things uh, under God and keep pointing him in the right direction and pray that he makes the right decisions. 
So we see them, and, and, and we, this whole thing about going to battle with Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was a good king, but he made some bad decisions. And to go to uh, war with Israel, it made sense, well, we're both, we're all Jews, we're Hebrews, sure, let's go to battle against Aram. But he forgot that God was, had separated them for a purpose, for a reason. Uh, and the north was following after false gods. And he was looking at things from a military standpoint and not really anything else. But he does the one right thing. He says, is there not a prophet? In other words, he could recognize that all of the prophets that, that Ahab had, had brought forth were not prophets of Yahweh. They recognized there were these, probably these false prophets of these, of the, of the golden calves or what have you. And so he, Ahab knows, well, there's this one guy, he, he, he seems to be a real prophet. He's always prophesying against me, meaning he was always telling that he was in sin against uh, Yahweh. And he comes forth and tells him the truth, finally, and they don't listen to him. Why would not Ahab listen to him? He said he knew he was a real prophet of God. But for some reason, he says, hmm, okay, I, I guess maybe that sounds a little weird. And let's go to battle. He was warned. Josephat was warned. Don't do this by God. And he does it anyway. So he's going to suffer um, somewhat for his disobedience to God in that. But at least because he did fear God, he did have the ability. He still um, was honored by God. So now let's see if we can go on to Acts 14. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed both the Jews and the Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done in their hands. But the people of the city were divided. And some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, Derby, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul, and he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze upon him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands at the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach a gospel to you that you should turn from these things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave rains from heaven and fruitful seasons 
satisfying your heart with food and gladness, even saying these things with difficulty. They restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders to them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Ataliah. And from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things which God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they spent a long time with the disciples. One of the things, the first thing you notice when they got all the disciples together there in Antioch, notice what they began to report to them. Oh, guys, guess what? Paul was stoned to death and he resurrected from the dead. Wouldn't that be what you would talk about? I would. I was like, whoa, you guys weren't going to believe what happened. We healed a lame man. Uh, they stoned Paul. Paul was dead. We all were watching and he got up and he went back into the city, kept preaching. And I'm sure they shared that at some point, obviously, to glorify God. But they, they talk about the work that they had done that was accomplished when they had right, um, that the gospel had gone out. They were so focused on, on God changing the hearts of man to them. That was a greater miracle. And, and Paul doing this, of course, becomes a model for us for the two prophets in the time of the tribulation. Now that we're in the book of Revelation, he's boldly proclaiming to a rebellious generation the coming of the Lord. And some are hearing it, some are believing, but they're won over by the crowd. You see, they have this whole crowd and they're starting to believe just like the first half of the tribulation. People are realizing, hey, there is a God. This is real. But then they get won over by false prophet. And the Antichrist, but predominantly probably the false prophet. And the people's opinion turn. And they come against everything of God. And this may be a reflection of something in, in the New Testament. In, in, well, I mean the book of um, Revelation. But Paul gets up. And this is where we're going to see later that he says that, uh, that at one point in his life that he was taken up into heaven. He wasn't sure if it was for real or a vision. Doesn't know if he really died, went up to heaven, or if it was just a vision. This was probably that time, and he saw things too glorious to report. This would make sense, because when he gets back up in, in Lystra, he goes right back into the city and starts preaching again. Who would do that? Which one of us, after we had a group of people around us with rocks and stone us to death, would get back up, still bloody, it doesn't say that he was healed like in the movies. He was probably still bloody with, with bruises and swelling all over his face. And he goes back in there and continues to preach the gospel so they could see the power of God. It's a phenomenal man. Phenomenal gospel that we preach because it says he tells the people that with many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, in context, he's probably talking directly about him and Barnabas, but he's talking about the whole church as well and especially towards the end of days.
All right, Charles Spurgeon, this is the sure way of prevailing with the Lord in prayer. We may humbly remind him of what he has said. Our faithful God will never run back from his word, nor will he leave it unfulfilled. Yet he loves to be inquired of by his people and put in mind of his promises. This is refreshing to the memories, reviving to the faith and renewing to their hope. God's word is given, not for his sake, but for ours. His promises are settled and he needs nothing to bind him to his design of doing his people good. But he gives the promise to our strengthening and comfort. Hence, he wishes us to plead and to say to him, thou sayest, I will surely do thee good, is just the essence of all the Lord's gracious saints. Lay a special stress on the word, surely he will do us good, real good, lasting good, only good, even good. He will make us good, and this is to do us good in the very highest degree. He will treat us as he does his saints while we are here, and that is good. And he will soon take us to be with Jesus and all he has chosen, and that is supremely good. With the promise of our hearts, we need not fear angry Esau, nor anyone else. If the Lord will do us good, who can do us hurt? Well, Father, thank you for that word of encouragement. Thank you for bringing us into your presence again and giving us those special words. We know that you will do us good. We know that we can rely on you. And so we today need to remind ourselves of these things, rehearse those words, and believe those words. Even Paul knew that you would do him good, even in the fact that he was had so much persecution, because he knew what heaven looked like after that day. He saw it. He knew where we were going. So thank you, God, for reminding us. Thank you that we do know there's going to be hard times, but we do know that you're still good, and you provide good for us, even in the midst of difficult, troubling times. We know we have a hope in the future. We know the things that you have laid up in store for us, and we know that even in the midst of difficult times, you bring in times of refreshing. You bring in brothers and sisters around us for refreshing our souls and peace and fellowship. And you do amazing things, so we thank you for that. We thank you for those that are seeking restoration and relationships that are broken, that you would go before them and, and help them, God, give them the right words, give them the right opportunities, especially those who have been separated from their loved ones um, directly close to them in family, husbands, wives, children, grandparents, whatever, God. There's been a lot of stuff that have happened over the last couple of three years. So, God, bring us closer to the people that we desire to be with and restore those relationships, especially right now amongst marriages that are being so torn apart. Thank you for those that are that are seeking God to go deeper in your word as they dedicate every day to listening to your word or reading your word. Encourage them, God. Do not let that time be interrupted or do not let their heart fail or, or slide away or compromise. Keep us, God, at your feet every day. Thank you for what you're doing through the ministry and growing it. God, may you continue to grow it. We pray that people that have never read your Bible would be able to come in and join us and listen to your words of life and of our future hope that we have. And those that need healing physically, God, many people continue to heal them and touch their bodies. Thank you for all that you're doing in those areas. Thank you for this opportunity we have to go down to this funeral to celebrate the life of Andrew Zamora. Thank you for Renee Hughes, her whole family that are believers, God, so we can share the hope with those that are not. Especially, God, we want to pray for 
Andrew's wife, Edna, that you just continue to bless her. She's been very strong. She knows her husband's with you. She's been a good witness. God, continue to do that and use her herself to make it to be, and now to be a bold witness for you, God, to amongst all those family members that she knows that do not know you. So just prepare her and make this a wonderful time as we celebrate his life tomorrow. So thank you, God, for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.